Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis. And today we're going to be talking about a real interesting topic. Um, some of us know a lot about it, some of us don't know a whole heck of a lot about it, but uh, this could be a great episode to get educated a little bit about what dry needling is and how we use it uh, in the orthopedic realm. And I think we can even use it uh, in a neurological sense also. So today we're going to be talking to physical therapist Philip Chamberlain, and uh, we'll be talking about the indication indications uh, for dry needling, contraindications, talk about some of the physiology behind it, you know, where did it come from and where are we going with dry needling. But before we do that, I'd like to take a moment and uh, just to get a word from our sponsor. So please stay with us. Do you experience leg and foot fatigue when standing for long periods of time? A main doctor and the company he founded, mainly Technology Group, have created a high-tech, all-terrain, chemical-free sock designed to reduce fatigue. The Easy Glider Sock has a graduated compression weave to keep blood flowing and to keep you energized. Created by Dr. Lee Thibodeau, the Easy Glider is also frictionless, lightweight, warm, extremely durable, and wicks away moisture. The socks will stay fresh for days, thanks to the organic antimicrobial agent, Kytosan. Easy Glider is the only sock you'll ever need for sports, work, and leisure. Visit EasyGliderSocks.com. Welcome back. I'd love to uh, introduce our very special guest today, physical therapist Phil Chamberlain. Phil uh, earned his uh, honors degree in physiotherapy from the University of Hertfordshire, England in 2002. He worked initially in the National Health Service in the UK, where he gained an appreciation for a treatment philosophy that sought maximal improvement for minimal cost, which is really a great concept. Since being in America, he focused on outpatient orthopedics and sports injuries, and Phil uh, has completed postgraduate training in spinal manipulative therapy, dry needling, and vestibular rehab, among many others. Uh, he has spent 11 years in the greater Portland, Maine area, and he is the owner of Alliance Physical Therapy, uh, which he opened in October of 2015. And uh, from a conversation we just had, it uh, seems like it's growing beautifully and uh, doing really well. Um, he's passionate about uh, applying his brand of therapy, which he describes as a progressive, evidence-based, outcome-oriented approach combining skilled manual th therapy and prescriptive corrective exercises delivered with an emphasis on patient education and independence. Phil, ha Phil has special interests in treating spinal pain, knee osteoarthritis, and shoulder pain. Phil's married and has two children who keep him on the run. When he's not at work, he enjoys playing real football, table tennis, taking family hikes, and being active with his children. So, um, Phil, welcome to our show, and thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you coming on. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been uh, really fun and educational following the development and growth of Ortho EvalPal. Um, and so to be on it with you today is, uh, is really special. Thanks again for having me. It's great to have you here. And um, so uh, just to give everybody a little history, uh, Phil and I worked together for a while at County Physical Therapy. Uh, Phil worked in, up in what we call the Valley. So we were, uh, you know, an hour and a half uh, apart or so. Um, the one thing I liked about Phil the most is that he always had this strong, strong passion for getting the diagnosis right, 
and then being very conscientious about a very efficient and effective treatment plan that went along with that evaluation. Um, and so it was very, very passionate. We consulted with each other uh, quite often regarding different patients and different scenarios and uh, to try to make sure that, you know, you do it just right and not just treating every single shoulder like a shoulder, you know, and, and nothing was cookie cutter with Phil. Um, it was always very individualized and uh, very well thought out. So, um, you know, that I really appreciated. And we, we sorely missed Phil when he left um, to open his practice uh, down in Southern Maine, but uh, that's okay. Maybe uh, we'll continue to uh, work together in a different capacity doing things like this and, uh, you know, going forward. I certainly hope so, Paul. It was uh, it was quite a good uh, quite a good experience working up in the county. Never a dull moment, and uh, exposed me to a lot of uh, quintessential Maine experiences. All right, great. That's nice to hear, um, Phil. Let me ask you uh, to get started here. You know what got you interested in dry needling, and how did you uh, get started with it? Yeah, well, I started to hear about it back in probably about 2012, 2013. Um, by that time, I'd already been practicing as a physical therapist for 10 or 12 years. Um, and as any of you know, you know, when you reach that point in your career, you start to recognize from experience almost the, the moment you uh, interview and meet a patient for the first time, you know if you're going to be able to help them or not. Um, and I started to have realization of the types of patients that I was struggling with. Um, and really, these were the patients who had issues um, that I couldn't affect where the tissue that was the, the pathological tissue was too deep and there was no way I could get my hands deep into that tissue. Um, and the other kind of patient scenario I was facing was those that were affected by chronic pain or central sensitization. Um, and, and those patients, as you know, are really tough to deal with. And I just started to realize there's a gap in uh, my toolbox. I sort of run out of the appropriate tool to use in that scenario. Um, we can do a lot of things as a physical therapist. Uh, we use our hands a lot, but uh, we really can't get into someone's supraspinatus very effectively. We can't get to their glute minimus, uh, and we can't get to their medial pterygoids. There's a lot of these tissues that are highly involved in pathology um, that are just outside of our reach when we're working from um, the external tissue. Um, and when it comes to those um, chronic patients, um, Really, our, our only tools are to deal with behavior modification, teaching them to think differently about pain and to uh, understand pain differently, uh, or we overload uh, the, you know, the, the pain signals or the, the gate theory with TENS or something like that. But we're really not able to dial their pain down um, or, or affect it in a meaningful way. Um, and here uh, with dry needling uh, was, was a ready, set way to address those two um, scenarios very effectively. Um, and so I was excited from the get-go, um, and then I just had to spend some time figuring out who do I do my training with, and am I allowed to do it in Maine? Um, and that, that, that will uh, be some interesting conversation later on. Yeah, so I, you know, I have to be totally honest with you. I've been at this for 26 years, and um, when dry needling came around, I was a little skeptical about, uh, you know, how it's performed and, and the purpose behind it. And so uh, somebody in our clinic was trained in dry needling. And it's just amazing at some of the things that, you know, we might work at and work at and work at. And then we do a, a, one or two visits of dry needling. And there's such significant change in difference. And it doesn't work with everybody, of course. But it, like you said, it's definitely a new tool that seems to be really working well. 
Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I really see it as a tool that I've incorporated into my toolbox. I have not thrown anything else out um, to make room for this tool. It's just been very um, much a, an addition. Um, it's a, it is a hallmark of how I treat. I do utilize it a lot. Um, but like I say, it's, uh, it's, it's one tool and it's not for everybody. Yep. Um, so let me ask you about, you know, what, what is the evolution of dry needling? Like, how did it come about and when did it become a, a new modality to, to use for treatment of uh, musculoskeletal conditions? Well, that's a question that's caused a lot of controversy um, over the years as it's grown in popularity in the States. It's really been around for a long time. Um, it was built on a number of influences. You, you know, really traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture probably represents the oldest original root, um, certainly from a historical perspective. Um, they're the ones that started putting needles into people's bodies. Um, and we use the same tool. We use the acupuncture needle when we, when we do dry needling. Um, and even within the broad body of traditional Chinese medicine acupuncture, um, they have the concept of putting needles into what they call ashi points. Um, in English, that roughly translates to our shit points uh, because they typically hurt. They're, they're those muscular trigger, trigger points that can be pretty painful as you put the needle in. Um, but really, the similarity with, dry, uh, with uh, Chinese acupuncture ends at that point, and most observers would kind of credit uh, Dr. Travell and Simons in the 40s as the beginning of what we know as dry needling today. Um, many therapists um, uh, know that these two people started the concept and framework around muscle, muscle trigger points, um, and they were doing lots of work injecting everything from saline, uh, to corticosteroids, to analgesics into these trigger points. Um, they mapped them uh, and they mapped referral patterns and they even proposed a diagnostic criteria. So really from the 40s, we sort of moved on into, into the 70s um, and a Czech doctor named uh, Carol Lewitt uh, was doing studies and, and he brought to the table this idea of putting a needle in uh, with nothing in it, without injectate. So putting the hypodermic needle into, into the patient, patient's body, um, but not actually uh, pushing any uh, fluid or liquid into it. Um, and so he's really given credit for um, coining the term dry needling. Um, as I said, he, is, he was still using hypodermic needles, and so he wasn't particularly gentle. He was pretty aggressive, um, but he was still seeing patients respond. And so he so, sort of uh, noted that uh, people are responding to the presence of the needle and not just to the injectate. Um, and then from there, it sort of broadened out. Um, different branches um, started to explore it. You've got the Canadian, uh, Dr. Chan Gun, um, who came up with the intramuscular stimulation approach. Um, you've got the trigger point dry needling crew uh, that you might find with Kineticore. And then you've got people like um, physical therapist, Dr. James uh, Dunning, who founded the Dry Needling Institute. Um, and he advocates more of a semi-standard protocol approach um, with the dry needling. So a number of um, influences. Uh, and in many ways, it's, it's not a new um, it's not a new concept, but it's certainly growing in popularity around the country. Um, it's been used in Europe uh, a lot uh, earlier than it is in the, in the States. Um, and I think if you look at the current literature, um, it's continuing to expand um, the utilization of dry needling. Um, it goes well, but well beyond uh, trigger points. Um, and I would say, you know, if I was using an operating definition of dry needling, it's really a manual therapy that involves inserting a monofilament needle into muscle, tendon, ligament, and perineural tissue 
um, with the goal of stimulating healing in subacute and chronic conditions that involve the neuromusculoskeletal system. So its breadth of capacity is, is pretty amazing. Okay, so that that actually kind of falls into the next question that I had is, um, you know, what is the procedure of dry needling? Just for those, you know, I mean, we have people listening to the podcast who are PAs, FNPs, OTs, physical therapists, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches. Um, for some of those who have never been exposed to it, can you just give us a little idea of what the procedure is like? Um, talk to us about the needle, uh, how you insert it, and the uh, the actual procedure of dry needling, if you would. Yeah. And there's, again, there's a little variety out there with those who are certified and practicing it. Um, but uh, I'll kind of give you give you what I do. Um, so again, we utilize acupuncture needles. Um, we'll prep the area. Um, again, it's important to remember this is a clean um, technique. It's not a sterile technique, but we'll prep the area. We'll remove dirt and grime that's obvious um, and we'll, we'll use gloves. Um, and once you locate the um, target tissue anatomically, and typically I like to use landmarks to really make sure that I'm in the right area, um, uh, then and I'll be aware of the depth of the tissue that I'm targeting. Uh, am I trying to get down to a bony backdrop or am I trying to get into sort of a superficial or even a, a medium uh, layering of tissue? Um, and with that awareness, with my location, then I'm going to insert the, t- um, the needle through a guide tube. Um, and the guide tube is just to make sure the needle doesn't bend or go in a direction you, didn't, you don't want it to because uh, th- there's a flexibility to the needles. Um, and uh, once it's in, then I will typically do some unidirectional or bidirectional twisting of the needle. Um, and uh, that's just going to activate it. It's going to reproduce a bit more of the stimulus that, that we're looking for. Um, and if I twist it enough, I can get a bit of tissue grasp. And then I can actually tug on the needle and cause a bit of tenting. Um, and the value there is, is the ability to stretch tissue almost from the inside you know, so much of what we do manually as therapists is we we push and we compress tissue. Um, what's nice about something like the dry needling is that I can actually distract and draw the tissue up um, and stimulate it in a different way. Um, so uh, that's typically the process of it. Um, and uh, really, it's, it's as simple as putting a needle into an orange like you might do in day one of a phlebotomy training. Um, but uh, the real the real skill um, in dry needling is not necessarily how to put it in, but how to select your patients and how to know uh, when it's safe, when it isn't safe, and where not to put it. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, people come in all the time asking, well, how is this any different than acupuncture? Um, can you just briefly, you know, describe the difference between the two? And uh, because I think this is very, very important because they're really two different techniques. Yes, you're using the same needle, but um, the, the procedure and the outcome is is going to be different. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And like you said, there, the, the really the, the, the overlap point, if you like, is the tool that we're using. And to a certain degree, uh, there is a concept of ashi points, like I said, in uh, traditional Chinese medicine acupuncture. And 
most people would say there's about a 70 to 90% overlap. If you put the uh, body map of those ASHI points against the body map of trigger points, uh, there'd be a lot of consensus. Um, but as you know, Paul, really the, the knowledge base and the theoretical underpinnings um, of anything we do is really what translates into a different application or uh, a different practice and skill. And so uh, just like a surgeon might use a scalpel for surgery, while a mortician might use that same scalpel to prepare a dead body, or a butcher might use a knife to prepare meat, it's really the purpose of the tool, the, the theory behind using it. Um, that makes a difference. And so, again, in Chinese acupuncture, they never really were into dissecting the body or looking at the body from an anatomical or physiological perspective. Um, what they did was, um, you know, through trial and error, they, they mapped uh, these meridians along the body. And they had this concept or this theory of um, energy flowing through these meridians and pathology originates when that energy is blocked. And so they're trying to put needles into the body uh, to um, remove that blockage and to get that energy flowing again. Um, and uh, that, that again, is, is very different from what we do in, in dry needling, which I'll get to. And I think the other big difference um, in acupuncture, uh, a typical traditional evaluation will involve a, a tongue and pulse evaluation process. So that's how the acupuncturist is going to determine uh, where the blockage is and how they're going to utilize their needles. Um, and uh, and really in, in therapy, we're, we're using the needles differently. Our theoretical underpinnings are all physiological. Um, our location of them is all anatomical and based on the pathology. Um, and when it comes to evaluation, I am relying on my, my usual physical therapy evaluation. You know, I'm checking all of my tissue that I would normally check doing my special tests. Um, and so it's very different in that perspective. And I think the final difference really comes out in what we treat. Um, you might find an acupuncturist who will treat you uh, for anything from infertility to anxiety to asthma, um, whereas in, in physical therapy, we're using dry needling to treat uh, nerve, muscle, tendon, uh, or joint problems. We're treating the neuromusculoskeletal conditions, um, and that's exactly what we do every day. Um, so those are some of the key differences. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. That's very, that helps to clarify that. Um, I'd like to take just a few moments uh, to hear a word from our sponsor. Please stay with us. Did you know that over 90% of foot and ankle problems are caused by a tight calf muscle? Introducing the Easy Slant, a durable, adjustable, and portable calf stretching device. The Easy Slant was designed to increase stretching compliance and get you back on your feet and feeling better, faster. So if you work with patients seeking to ease or avoid foot pain, or clients who want to improve their athletic performance, look no further. Visit easyslant.com to learn more or order yours today. Enter coupon code OEP for a 10% discount on your first Easy Slant. All right. Thank you for sticking with us, and I hope you enjoy the show so far. Um, Phil, let's talk a little bit about some of the indications for dry needling. Like, What are some of the diagnoses that you can, you can treat with dry needling? Yeah, that's a really broad question. And, you know, typically when I think of um, indications, um, I think in, in real-world practice, we need to sort of bring in contraindications and precautions all at the same time. It, it comes down to patient selection. Um, so 
you know, what I would think about, um, first of all, is it has to be a diagnosis that's in our current scope of practice. It's currently in our wheelhouse. Um, like I said with uh, earlier with acupuncture, I'm not going to treat anyone for anything other than a neuromusculoskeletal condition. Um, but that still gives me plenty of uh, diagnoses to work with. Um, and uh, really, if I have a patient in front of me and I feel like I need to address the muscles, the tendons, the ligaments, uh, the nerve tissue, uh, or the joints, then it, it's fair game. Um, and so it's it's something we're all doing every day in our practice. Um, I think the uh, some of the other considerations are the acuity of the condition. Um, so if someone's just um, sustained an acute trauma like a sprained ankle and they're in that early physiological healing process, I typically wouldn't utilize dry needling in that patient. Um, it's not a hard and fast rule and, and more certainly more professional sports teams are really pushing the boundaries um, and they're trying to uh, – you know, utilize dry needling uh, more more than we are in clinical practice. But typically in that situation, I wouldn't. Um, and so more often than not, I'm looking for that subacute, that chronic condition, uh, someone who who's falling in that category. Um, and it can range from plantar fasciitis to back pain, neck pain. Um, knee osteoarthritis is a great one, shoulder pain. Uh, I mean, basically any diagnosis that's coming through your door, um, as long as they're not in a real acute phase, um, is, is probably appropriate to consider dry needling. Um, and I think the um, third and probably the most important consideration really is patient selection. Um, dry needling is not for every patient, uh, and it's not even for every therapist. A lot of therapists um, are scared about it. They're, they're concerned that they don't feel comfortable doing it themselves. Um, and so as long as the patient has the right diagnosis and, and they're in the right sort of stage of um, injury or acuity, um, then I make sure that they're not needle phobic. I make sure that they um, haven't arrived, you know, highly stressed or anxious and they haven't skipped their meals um, and they're not sick. You know, those are patients that I would in that session uh, or determine that dry needling may not be for them um, and I would utilize another tool in my toolbox. But outside of that, there's really no firm contraindications. Again, you'd consider precautions um, or considerations like pregnancy, uh, clotting disorders, metal allergies, delayed healing, um, implants, and uh, you know, bloodborne pathogens, history of fainting or syn syncope. Those are sort of the considerations that go in. But it's a real broad category of patients that, that we can use dry needling with. Okay, great. Now, I've always been concerned about, you know, what if you hit a nerve or something like that? I mean, I understand the needle is real small. Um, and, and really what I would encourage people, you know, who are interested in dry needling to do is, you know, make sure you brush up on your anatomy because it really, when it comes to doing, you know, different techniques, when either from an evaluation standpoint or to a treatment standpoint, really knowing your anatomy is super important. Um, but Talk a little bit about like, do you ever get concerned with, you know, neural injuries or anything like that with, especially with people who may be just getting started with dry needling and may not be mentored or guided as well as they probably should? Yeah, we did break up a little bit there, Paul, so I, I didn't hear all of that. Um, but in terms of um, safe practice, uh, yeah, you have to know your anatomy. And I think you have to gain an appreciation for anatomy in the three-dimensional um, aspect, not just the 2D that we get from textbooks. Absolutely. Um, I think that's really important. Um, and yeah, the, 
what makes it um, a skilled, a highly skilled technique, like I said, is not putting the needle in. That's the easy part. I mean, phlebotomists do their training in four weeks, um, having not done any training before then, and they know how to stick a needle in. So that's the easy part. What's important is knowing where not to hit, where the tissues are that you're avoiding. Um, and again, although I'm, I'm going to treat nerve pathology with this, like radiculopathy or um, carpal tunnels, I don't want to go into the nerve tissue. I just want to get near it to, to stimulate that tissue. Um, so you need to know sort of the location and depth of the key nerves. Um, and then, you know, obviously you want to stay out of the um the, the arteries and the circulatory system. Uh, so you need to know where those main main vessels are um, and stay away from them. And there are parts of the body that you just don't put a needle in. Um, there are parts of the body that I prefer to use my hands still. Um, but uh, but those are some of the considerations in, in that regard. Excellent, excellent. So um, I'm going to put you on the spot. I am a, a new patient of yours. I know nothing about physical therapy, anatomy, none of that stuff. I come in, you assess me, and you determine that, you know, I'm getting a lot of trigger points maybe in my uh, ECRB muscle group, and you want to do dry needling on me, but I've never heard of it before, and you want to introduce it to me. How would you introduce that to me, like in layman's terms, so that um, so that people out there, maybe new therapists who are doing dry needling, maybe have another appreciation for how to um, direct, guide, or um, you know, talk to the patient into uh, this procedure? Yeah, um, and typically what I'd end up doing is uh, just giving them a brief explanation um, about it. So when we're dry needling, we're really trying to um, create an effect in the tissue. Uh, the tissue that we might be getting targeting could be muscles, tendons, or ligaments. Uh, what we want to do from the needles is get um, increased blood flow to those tissues. Uh, we want to release any tightness in the structures. Um, we want to release the um, chemicals. Uh, there's oftentimes, I refer to a a soup, a chemical soup that exists when tissue is pathological, and we want to be able to flush that out and, and reverse those uh, chemical products. Um, and the other thing we get from the dry needling is we get to um, stimulate and release your own uh, pain inhibitors. Uh, inside our bodies, we have powerful uh, hormones and chemicals that um, reduce pain, endorphins and enkephalins, and uh, we're able to stimulate those with dry needling. Um, and I'll, I'll explain to them the, the process, um, you know, that, that it will have some sensation. When you put a needle into the body, you'll feel a pinprick, you'll feel a needle um, uh, going in. And then sometimes you'll have sensations like a warmth or an achiness, a local discomfort, sometimes even a twitch in the muscle and all of those kind of responses are normal. Um, and I'll, I'll tell the patient that we're typically going to leave it in for about 15 minutes. Uh, we'll have multiple needles, anywhere from about six to 10 needles. And uh, typically at that point, we'll attach it to an electrical stimulation uh, or a TENS unit similar to, similar to that. Uh, and that really is going to um, give your tissues much more stimulation by using the electrical stim uh, stimulation. Uh, and that way, the body is going to respond to the needles more. You're going to get more of that blood flow. You're going to get more of that chemical effect. Um, so that's typically how to explain it. Okay, great. Um, let me uh, let me ask you this now. Do you ever do just dry needling alone? Or do you always combine it uh, with something else? Like, will you do dry needling and just moist heat or something like that to help with recovery afterwards? Or do you ever do it uh, in combination with exercise? Do you ever precede it with exercise or, or uh, finish up with exercise afterwards? 
Yeah, great question. Uh, so as I said, it's, it's really never a standalone treatment. Um, dry needling for all its uh, wonders is not a silver bullet. Um, it's valuable, it's powerful, um, but it, it's not a standalone. So depending on my treatment goals for that patient and for that session, um, I might do it at the beginning um, of the session and then follow it up with some rolling and stretching exercises um, or if the patient's into a different phase, if they're into their strengthening stability sort of process, um, then I'll have them do all, all of their active program first, and then I'll end off with the dry needling um, just so that they can um, not load the tissue intensely right afterwards. There's no specific um, contraindication or a reason um, to limit your activity after dry needling, but um, I've just caused some, you know, pretty deep effects and um, I want to kind of let that sit and let the patient kind of um, be nice to that tissue. So it really depends on my target as to when I do it, but it's never a standalone. Um, if, if it is the only technique I do manually in the clinic, which even that is rare, I'll still use um, joint mobilizations, joint manipulations um, manually. But even if it's the only thing I do manually, typically I'm making sure that they're doing, they're doing their program. Okay, great. Thank you. I know everybody's wondering about this question. So how do you get paid for dry needling? Is it um, how are insurances responding to this newer form of modality that we're using to help people uh, get better? And, um, you know, how do you uh, fit that into your uh, your reimbursement uh, process? It's, it's changed a little bit. Um, in the, you know, four or five years ago, it was new enough that insurance companies really hadn't made any um, uh formal policy or determination. So uh, many therapists were billing it as, um, as a manual therapy. Um, I think over recent years, that's, that's been challenged a little bit. Um, and somewhere sort of in the late 2017, um, early 2018, Medicare uh, came out with a formal policy that um, stated that they would not be paying for dry needling. And as you know, once uh, Medicare make a determination, most other insurances will, will follow suit. Um, so it's currently not a um, reimbursable procedure. Uh, we're charging cash cash pay to the patient, so they're paying out of pocket. Um, we've tried in uh, in my clinic to uh, to make it a reasonable cost and to to not put it out of their reach, um, but it does add an extra expense and it's part of the consideration. Um, and I think as a profession, we really need to work quite aggressively over the next one to two years uh, to to change um, to change this and to challenge the insurance companies. Um, Medicare are kind of uh, quoting that it's an experimental procedure, um, which really just means that at this point they don't want to look at it and don't want to pay. And I think the onus is on us as therapists um, to really show them its benefit um, because I think it's it's only going to grow. Uh, it's going to be around for, for years to come. Yeah, I think what's pretty cool is that we've had some patients come in and talk to them about how it's, you know, a cash and carry type of thing. Um, and they get done therapy and they may call us, you know, a month later and say, you know, I had such good success with that, that uh, really I'd like to continue to pay uh, for dry needling. And they may come in just for that and uh, do really, really well with it. So I think that's very promising as far as utilizing dry needling in the uh, physical therapy and rehab uh, setting uh, in that, uh, you know, when it comes to trying to get insurances to jump on board and say, hey, you know what, this is really helping uh, and it's cutting down treatment times and it's getting people back to work and back to sport and uh, back to your everyday quality of life much better and faster, um, it can be actually a, a pretty cost-effective way to help manage patients. 
Absolutely. I think, you know, so often insurance companies approach something that's new as something in addition, or they think they're worried they're going to have to pay extra or pay more. But, um, you know, if someone spends time in my clinic for an appointment, I'm going to be doing something for them, whether it's dry needling or not. So if, uh, if something like dry needling can get them better quicker, uh, or in less time and less visits, then, you know, really, that's a, a cost saving to, uh, to the insurance company. And I'll often even explain that to the patients. Um, and I think they're willing to pay for it because they see and feel the difference and they, and they recognize its, its value. Um, so I think it's very promising. Great. So as far as health care providers go, who can become certified in dry needling and um, what kind of process do you need to go through? I mean, you can't just watch a video and say, okay, I'm certified in dry needling. I, I assume there's some sort of a certification, national certification out there for dry needling. Can you uh, fill me in on that? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of considerations to take in um, when you're considering that. Um, currently, to the best of my knowledge, I think uh, medical physicians, um, physical therapists, um, and uh, even to a degree, chiropractors and or uh, athletic trainers are allowed um, or might be able to uh, do dry needling. It does vary from state to state in the U.S. Uh, there is not a national uh, requirement um, or minimal competency that's been agreed. So each state has different regulations, and many states have already actually faced uh, quite bitter battles over uh, whether or not physical therapists can practice dry needling. Um, and PTs, I'm glad to say, have won in most states, uh, but not all. Um, currently, I think it's about 33 states where um, it's within the scope of a physical therapist. Um, in 11, it's prohibited. And in about six others, they just haven't dealt with it yet. Um, thankfully, Maine is one of those where it's allowed. But it was as recent as last year um, when we were challenged in this state by a chiropractor um, who was trying to push Bill LD-872 um, through the legislature, which was questioning you know, the safety uh, or the ability of physical therapists to safely practice dry needling. Um, and his argument was really centered around the fact that um, our current certification process might involve um, uh, two weekends, two three-day courses, um, and he was citing that as insufficient compared to the 300 hours that, that he might do as a chiropractor if he was learning acupuncture. Um, but thankfully, through a lot of grassroots efforts and collaboration, uh, we partnered with uh, the main chapter of the APTA, with professors from the DPT program at UNE, private practice owners like myself and, and patients, we were able to stop that bill from passing. So uh, in Maine, we have a really great setup. It's been written into our practice act now um, that, that we can practice dry needling. And um, the uh, physical therapy board um, has have actually stated that uh, it's up to the therapist to determine an appropriate level of training. So they haven't um, assigned a minimum number of um, training hours um, there are some states that have stipulations of 54 hours of um, continuing ed um, and even above. Um, in Maine, we can they continue to trust that the therapist as a professional uh, will make sure they're adequately trained. Um, and that's a great freedom that we that we need to be um, very cognizant of and uh, guard by making sure that that we are safe if we're going to start practicing it. Um, so it's not really the technique that you're going to learn from your colleague one Friday afternoon and start implementing come Monday. Um, you know, like we do with some other techniques, you really should go on a formal course. Uh, you should really seek out a certification program uh, that's approved. 
Um, and then alongside the, you know, seven years or six years that we do in PT school, uh, you, you should be able to justify that you're uh, competent in practicing dry needling. Phil, that is absolutely excellent. That's uh, so helpful. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm a big, big advocate of uh, mentoring. And I think that getting the training is great. But I think actually seeing it, you know, being done with somebody who is experienced, you know, and being side by side with them, working with patients uh, is very important. It doesn't matter if you're doing evaluative techniques, you're doing dry needling, or you're doing treatment. I think mentoring is probably the number one best way to uh, actually learn. You do learn a lot in college, and you can, you know, go to courses and things like that. But doing it on a real patient, and uh, not just, uh, you know, somebody who happens to be at a course with you uh, is very important. And uh, I think taking that extra time to see seek out, you know, professionals like yourself to get some guidance is, and to communicate with is very important. Yeah, I think that that is really important. I think we're, we're um, challenged in physical therapy. Um, we always want to offer more mentorship. And I think it's a hard thing for therapists to find an employer who's willing to provide that mentorship rather than just putting them to work. Um, to earn to earn the money up front, um, but mentorship is crucial. Um, learning the skill, like I said, is one thing. Knowing when to not not to use it, or being able to consult with another therapist um, as you're as you're doing it is is really valuable. Um, and uh, and having even a, a an employer who's supportive of sending you for the training. I know uh, some some physical therapy employers are concerned about uh, liability with dry needling and. Um, concerns around uh, that. And so sometimes you'll find that your employer may not want you to do it or may not be willing to put you through that training. But um, just to put your mind at rest, there's actually uh, no evidence that dry needling has resulted in an increase uh, liability. Um, and we've, we've talked to um, people like the um, HPSO um, carriers and, and they've not seen any change um, since therapists have taken up dry needling. All right, Phil, I don't know what to say. Uh, you've done an awesome job today uh, getting the word out on dry needling, what it is, uh, who you use it on, and uh, the whole process and procedure has been absolutely awesome. Um, is there anything that I missed as far as questions or any information you want to give to uh, our listeners that may be helpful? I think one of the one of the last probably practical um, hints I'd give a therapist who was looking into doing it or new at practicing dry needling, I often have the question, how do you convince a patient to do it? Um, and one of the things that I noticed is uh, someone who's not experienced as a therapist, they might have their own hang up. So they might have their own anxiety about putting the needle in uh, to the patient's body. And if you're going to convince someone from that point, um, you'll struggle. I think you really need to get comfortable with the idea yourself. You need to practice on um, your colleagues, perhaps after you get certified, uh, so that you become much more comfortable with the whole concept. You know, up until dry needling, everything we've done as therapists has been external, outside the body. Um, and so this is a little bit of a change in terms of uh, technique. And some therapists have hangups, and uh, I think that can be a barrier. So I'd really encourage a therapist who's, who's new into this or who's, uh, you know, struggling to get patients to, to give it a go, I think you really have to get comfortable and you really have to be able to uh, talk to it without your anxiety or your own fears coming into play. Thank you very much, Phil. Um, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really, really appreciate this. Uh, I know you're a very busy guy and uh, to take some time out of your day to do this is, uh, is stellar and uh, I really appreciate it. 
Paul, my pleasure. It's uh, always good to see you and talk to you and uh, good luck with uh, everything that you've got your hands in. Great. Thank you very much. And uh, for all of those of you who are listening today, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I know there's a lot of information there. So, uh, you know, this is uh, recorded not only uh, through our uh, podcast channel, through the website, orthoevalpal.com, but on YouTube. So if you want to watch this, you can watch it over and over again. Um, if you have any questions about dry needling, go ahead and uh, and forward the questions to our Get in Touch page, which will be in the show notes. And that's at orthoevalpal.com. And I'll forward some questions to uh, Phil if, uh, if we get them. And uh, we'd be more than happy to try to answer your questions and uh, try to bring, uh, you know, some some comfort level um, to you, not only as a person performing dry needling, uh, but maybe a practitioner who wants to uh, order or put in a referral for dry needling. Uh, we want you to be comfortable uh, with that concept. So um, again, thank you all so much for listening. My name is Paul Markey, your host, and uh, can't wait to talk to you next time. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, Go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.